Hello, friends, and welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My name is Scott Cowan, and I'm the host of the show. Each episode, I have a conversation with an interesting guest who is living in or from Washington State. These are casual conversations with real and interesting people. I think you're going to like the show. So let's jump right in with today's guest. Well, welcome back to Ryan Perkins. Ryan uh, is back for a second visit here. I don't know. Maybe that says more about Ryan than it does about me. But um, <clears throat> thanks, Ryan. We're going to talk Oli Town soccer, but I think our focus today is going to be on the USL Women's League stuff. So, Ryan, let's let's walk through that journey that you guys just kind of are on right now. Yeah, in uh, in two uh, two thousand, uh, so it was twenty twenty two. We um, were exploring. Um, you know, signing a franchise into the USLW, which is a nationwide women's uh, professional amateur league. It's, it's just essentially designed for uh, like a summer season for D1, D2 college players and maybe some pros that are needing to get some time on the field. So uh, we signed uh, with the USL for the women's team. Uh, I think it was September um of last year. And then this was our first season this year and it was just kind of a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. Question, how many about, I, I don't know if you, if you know this or not, but how many, how many teams are in the women's league of the USL? Cause the men's league was shockingly large. Yeah. It's about half yeah. the size of the men. So I think the, the, even this new season, I think we're approaching 50 clubs, um, possibly wow. okay. even still a probably, lot. Yeah. That's a lot of clubs, maybe huh? even 60, yeah. uh, by the time okay. th- this new season rolls around. So, but, but the men's, uh, USL two has 124 clubs, I believe, yeah. which oh. is huge and massive, but the USL two has been around for a, a, a longer time than the USLW. Okay. All right. So you guys signed up and when, before we hit record, you were kind of sharing with me just briefly about the abundance of, of interest in from players. Yeah. I I think because there, you know, the USLW hadn't been here in Washington um, in, in also Oregon, and there wasn't kind of this big West coast feel, you know, is primarily, you know, East coast. There's a lot of players that all of a sudden were like, Hey, we got, we have to go, play in Olympia. We have to go play at Oli Town. Um, this is, you know, a path to pro uh, division that I could keep fit and and then also, you know, look get looks for the next level and the professional ranks. And so it was it was crazy how fast the player interests uh, came together after the announcement. How many players are on a women's uh, team? Uh, technically on game day, you're looking at about 18 players. Um, but the player pool can range from 30 to 30 to 40, um, because there's kind of this rotation revolving door, you know, players have to report back to college early. Some people don't get out of college, you know, till later in the, you know, later in June. And so it was kind of this, it's a big revolving door, but I'd say 30 to 40 is the player pool. Okay. But 18 on game 18 day. on game day. Okay. So walk me through, I know, cause like I, you know, like, you know, cause you talked to me before, I know very little about the sport specifically, but walk me through what was required of, of your ownership group to get into the USLW. What, what did they kind of, what, what, what were they looking for? Cause you mentioned that 
Washington and Oregon weren't in the league. It was mostly East Coast. So I'm guessing that the league was looking to expand. But what were they looking for from expansion partners? I think they're probably, you know, mainly vetting clubs that have a, a, a vetted footprint, a social media website, a team that's been around for years that has a, has a got a significant following. And as you know, semi-pro and pro-am teams sometimes can have 25 people in the stands and some have a thousand plus. Uh, and so right. I think that that really goes into the process for USL to figure out who has a large footprint, who's been around, who's successful, and who takes it seriously because game days can really vary. Um, also, they look at stadium compliance. Do you can you hold you know five hundred to two thousand people? You know, locker room, showers, all the amenities that you know is normal for a pro a pro organization. And then obviously, there's a financial franchise. A uh, fee that's um, considerably more than you know a standard semi-pro or pro-am league. So um, there's a lot that goes into it from like a planning perspective, you know, an ownership side, and and getting that all dialed in to make a case to enter the USL and 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 Oli Town checked all the boxes and including broadcast. We have a pro broadcast. Um, we stream mm-hmm. all the games on our YouTube channel, HD, multiple cameras, pay, play-by-play graphics, commercials. It's like it, if we try and make it feel like a pro environment, um, you know, top down. There's, I have, I have compar- uh, comparables for the West Coast League. That's the summer league for baseball uh, around Washington, Oregon, British Columbia, and Alberta. So the, a lot of the stuff that you're saying is very similar to how what um, West Coast League handles teams for baseball so i love asking this question to people and in 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 play along what went wrong what did what what surprised you that you weren't prepared for i always love hearing the gotchas because i think we learned so much from them uh i uh the funny one um from an ownership or management perspective uh uh, uh, essentially thinking that your team is going to actually make the national playoff and have to have multiple flights and hotels and meals uh, out of, you know, in California or Texas or Florida. And so in our case, um, one thing that we happen to have, you know, remaining dollars in, in the bank account, but um, I guess we we're kind of blindsided. We had, I had no idea that the team would go undefeated in our inaugural USLW year, a number that's impressive, a man. number one seed into the USL national playoff. And all of a sudden it turned into, we need to fly out 18 players and four staff. And it was the first time the club had ever gotten on an airplane in the history of our club since okay. 2014. And so that was learning on the fly. Let me tell you, it was a stressful, stressful uh, five days. Well, and you know, airline tickets and hotels and food on the road, that all adds up pretty quick. How, where was the, where, where'd you guys have to fly to? We ended up going to uh, San Francisco, kind of that Bay Area. Okay. Um, and okay. we were the only number one seed to have to travel to another state because the other oh. seeds were actually from California. So it was less, you know, um, troublesome for the USL and, and all these clubs. If those three from California just went to Frisco and we flew down. So, but it was, it was definitely a, a different pace for us. All right. 
And yeah, I, that, that whole herding of cats and the scheduling and all of that. So you guys went undefeated. That's, that's kind of, well, first off, that's impressive for any team to go undefeated in a season, much less a expansion first year, fran- you know, franchise, if you will. What on earth happened there? I mean, how, how, how did you guys assemble such a powerful team? I think uh, first and foremost, it was like the, the coaching aspect and what I've, kind of learned from the USL two on the men's side first year was um, it's really important to have coaches that have a network and are good at recruiting. Um, And I think what happened was, is not only were we an expansion, you know, into, you know, the North Pacific Northwest or the only team in Washington, there's a plethora of division one schools here, but I think the coach really is a recruiting um, specialist. And before you know it, it was just like uh, Penn State showing up, UCLA, (laughs) University of Washington, University of Oregon. And all of a sudden it just kept growing, growing and growing all these D1 commits. And all of a sudden it was like Mariah Lee from the OL Reign uh, is committed to play um, in kind of this transition year before she gets back into pro uh, pro club soccer again, cause she had an injury and it's just like, what, <laughs> it was just blew up so fast. And before you knew it, we were watching these games and it was like three, zero, five, zero, seven, zero. You know, we had a, we had a good battle with a Portland uh, squad called United PDX where we tied one game uh, two two, but, and beat them down there on the road one zero, but it was, it was a pretty mar a pretty significant margin in talent. Okay. So you got mostly, most of these, the women were, were D1 schools? Yeah, majority uh, D1. Um, we even had, okay. um, I think it was nine players um, from our team um, made the NCAA uh, national tournament for, for their respective colleges. And it's, and that's, okay. that's nine out of 11 in the starting lineup, essentially. That's made, not only like played NCAA division one ball, but they all played on teams that made it to the national uh, college cup played on good squads that were, were, were competitive. Yeah. It's, it was, it was pretty eye opening. It's the, it's probably the highest level of sport that and talent that's probably come into Olympia because there is no other division one or pro teams or anything going on down here. And so I think for the first time it was like, wow, this is a pretty significant sporting event here for Olympia. And where were you, where were the where were the games played at? We were at South Sound Stadium, uh, kind of in Lacey there, uh, right off the mm-hmm. uh, right off I five, um, and it holds about two thousand people. But you know we uh, we we play there. It, it's a great it's a, it's a nice stadium. Has the amenities, uh, locker rooms, you know, and a, and a press box that we can actually film the game and have multiple cameras. So it's a it's a good fit for us. Okay. And the men's team plays there too, correct? Yes, they do. Okay. So you have a working arrangement. Who who controls that stadium? Is it the school district? Yeah, it's the school district. We actually have, uh, I think we've kind of touched on this before, but uh, there's still a glaring issue uh, in our town is facilities and fields. Uh, there's technically no mm-hmm. soccer stadiums um, in, in the region. And then there's no, there's only one actual soccer field that's turf and has lights in the county um so our problem is is every single field has football lines has a track uh you know complete 
you know, it completely disrupts the viewing of a USL standard match. And so it's, it's a, it's a tough, tough County to play um, high level soccer in. Right. And, and, and fields uh, are not inexpensive to uh, create uh, from the land cost much, you know, much less putting a field in with stands and, and the, you know, the infrastructure one needs like showers and lights and press boxes and everything. Yes. So that's a huge, a huge undertaking for a community to to take on. But I think I think that um, that this has maybe gotten people's attention where it needs, uh, you know, local municipality, city, parks and rec. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's some organizations in town that I think are are looking at this and saying, "Wow, we really need to invest in something because, you know, if we don't, this might go away, or this deserves something bigger and better than playing at a you know a standard school district." football stadium. And so, you know, I think it could create change here locally. How, how did the community embrace this new team? Was there enthusiasm from the, from the get go or did it, it, is it taking a while during the season for them to warm up or how has the region responded? I think there, you know, there's a, there was a lot of buzz about the women's team. I think when they, they started seeing that we had like, we had a couple of Olympic national team signings uh, that were a goalkeeper from UCLA, yeah. Nico Purcell, um, and um, Ava Uribe played on the, um, she was at Syracuse and she played on the United States uh, youth national team. And I think there was a lot of buzz. It was like, wow, is this mm-hmm. really happening? Because it's one thing to see, you know, a post on Instagram or a website or a press release. And it's like, what, really? Like, that's really happening in Olympia. And, and so I think there was a lot of initial buzz, but I feel like, and I think as some people know that maybe listening and especially you with semi-pro pro-am, there's a lot of communities are so used to going to Seattle to catch a Mariners or Sounders or Seahawks. Mm-hmm. And, and there's this element of trying to change people's, um, you know, perspective of where to find great, sports entertainment or great sports to watch. And that's where we're still in the infancy of providing something high level that the community's still not used to. Oh, well, they're playing at a, some high school over here at the stadium, but it's a bunch of soccer stars from, you know, the nation. And what does that really mean or what's really happening? And, and so, the crowds were, were okay. Um, I, I feel like it got better and better as the season went on, obviously being undefeated helps and clinching the national playoff. But I feel like Olympia is still kind of learning that it can, there is potential for this to be a sports market. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I agree with you on that. I, it, it is kind of, sometimes you have to build it and they will come, but they, they show up slower than you'd like them to. Um, you, you mentioned, you know, undefeated and then the playoffs, how did you do in the playoffs? Oh, we were actually a one and done. Um, okay. so there was kind of some, a little bit of drama, uh, cause we were the number one seed and we were the only team that had to fly all the way, um, to San Francisco. And then the home clubs down there were organizing the hotels and they were, they were putting us in hotels that were an hour you know, two hours of traffic away from the field. And it just got kind of weird and goofy a little bit. And, you know, excuses aside, um, 
I think it was a great experience. We had a lot of shots on goal. We lost one zero. Um, and you know, the teams out of that area ended up making it to the, I think the semifinals of the entire, um, uh, us, USL nationals. And so, so yeah, we're one and done, but I, I do feel like, you know, there's a potential here that if we could, we could host, it might be a different outcome there. Okay. What are you looking forward to for the 20, the 2024 season? What, what, what do you think will go smoother this year? I mean, you've got a season under your belt, <clears throat> you got air travel kind of like, Oh yeah, maybe we will have to travel. So you got to kind of think that in the background, but you know, what do you, th- what are you excited for, for 2024? Are there more teams coming into the area so that you, because you just said it was just you in Portland. So you, where else did you have to travel during the season to, uh, so to play? We, there's teams in Eugene, Salem. Uh, there was two out of okay. actually Portland. Um, and there is some talk, okay. you know, I've seen on Instagram and social media that there might be a team coming out of Spokane. Um, there's kind of a large soccer um, footprint, footprint um, being designed by USL in Spokane. Um, and so there, okay. there's some talk that they might enter the picture, but they're, I feel like they're just far enough away <laughs> that not going to really impact a whole lot of, um, uh, player pool or, or anything. And I think, um, looking to next year, yeah, there's a lot of things that we're, we're already addressing early right now. So we're prepared, um, for next season, including recruiting and tryouts and apparel, you know, getting things all set up and understanding blackout dates in the stadium. But I think for us, uh, it'll be different to see, it'll be, it's, it's really been cool to see the commits that are already coming in because the call, the women's college season just ended. And so all of them are thinking mm-hmm. about their future and it's already r- really so humbling and amazing to already be hearing from players that are wanting to come back immediately. Like, Hey, I'm making plans to be back in Washington to play for Oli town. I'm super excited. And I feel like that is reflective of we did something right in year one, even though it was behind the scenes, a real crazy stressful time. But the fact that the players had a good experience and they're letting other players know that they're friends with and their network around the United States. Like this is a place where you want to play. And I feel like it's really humbling and amazing to get that feedback immediately already. Answer. I got a couple more questions for you. So let's walk before we go on. This can be, this is both 2023 season and, and soccer in general. So the, the season's a two month season, right? Yes. Right? Yes. Correct. Okay. Walk me through a typical week for the women's team. Practice days. What are, what's a typical, what was the typical week look like for the team? Yeah, usually, you know, coming off a Sunday or a Monday, it's usually they get a little bit of a break um, because the games are kind of on like a Friday, Saturday, or sometimes a combination of like a Thursday night. And then you go to, you know, maybe a walkthrough on Friday and then a game on Saturday and then get a little bit of a break. Um, maybe go to the gym or um, see an athletic trainer. But I th- mainly we're looking at about three trainings a week. Um, and mm-hmm. the, what we've, what we've heard is because we had such a, a, a large player pool of, you know, division one and pro athletes, the trainings were actually maybe more exciting from a player development perspective, because the players were so high level that the trainings felt harder than the games 
Um, and so there is a lot of competitive, like very competitive atmospheres, a lot of fun. Um, so, you know, looking at trainings, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, maybe a road game or a home game Thursday, maybe a little break Friday game on Saturday. So there's, there's always some action going on, but there is downtime and, and it was kind of cool. I, I, yeah, we would see that players were, you know, from out of town or from out of state or even out of the country. We had some international players. They would go hiking at Mount Rainier. Um, they would do the loop around the Olympic, uh, the, the Olympic Peninsula, around the Olympic Mountains and go to, you know, Forks, Port Angeles, Hurricane Ridge and go into downtown Seattle, the Pike Place. And so, like, there was this, like, like tourist kind of, like, uh, atmosphere <laughs> where they were t- on their off days. They, the All the, the women would bond and get together and they would go do you know outings and hiking and it was it was awesome and how many staff does it take to prepare and train and put on game day for the women's team the technical staff uh we have a head coach uh his name was chris wells um and he's a he's a d1 um He's a D1 assistant coach and also a recruiting coordinator. Um, and then we had a, an assistant coach, Rachel Ross, out of Tacoma. She played at Pacific Lutheran. And then we had a, a general manager. Um, and then we did uh, contract with some goalkeeper coaches to come down kind of sporadically throughout the season, sprinkled them in. Um, and then actual game day, you're looking at five to seven staff per game and then another probably three to four volunteers that were crowd control, you know, maybe some ticketing and and things like that. And then the live stream and broadcast and PA and all that is another probably five professionals that we contract out. Um, So a couple videographers, a broadcast director, a color play-by-play and PA. Then we also have a photographer come out for every single game. So it's, it's kind of a lot, a lot in the end. That's a lot. That's a lot. And is that about, is that about the typical staff for the men's league? Too? Yeah, it's, it's mirrored. So it's the exact same crew okay. comes out for the men's. Okay. So as far as game day staff, not, not coaching staff, the coaching staff's different on the men's. Yeah. Side. The men's, the men's mm-hmm. team, um, there was two assistant coaches. So I think there was one additional coach, but it was more of a, okay. probably more of a player development, um, coach that was maybe focused on, um, someone that maybe played uh, USL at that level that was on the staff to kind of help with like player centric things. But um, otherwise it's pretty, it's, it's pretty much the same mirrored across both teams. Okay. Where are practices held at? Are they still at the South Sound Center or do you have practices in other locations? Yeah, we're, we, we do uh, practices at the regional athletic um, complex, which is in Lacey. Um, they, they hold pretty big baseball tournaments too, but there, that's the mm-hmm. actual field. That's the only turf lit soccer field in Thurston County is owned by the city of Lacey. And it's at the, the rack, the regional athletic complex. And so we do a lot of trainings there. And then, um, but there's, there's kind of this idea that maybe we might venture up North and do a couple sessions a week. Um, because there's a lot of players that come from Bellevue, Seattle, et cetera. And, and coaches come from up North too, you know, at, at the end of the day, there's actually not a whole lot of the technical staff and players that actually like live in Olympia. So 
you know, there's some talk of maybe, you know, holding a couple practices, maybe in Tacoma or Seattle, that type of thing. But, but yeah. Okay. Walk me through what's going to take for prep for the 24 season. Now, where are you at in the process and walk me up to the opening night? Yeah. At, at this point, there's a lot of kind of uh, nailing down um, recruits and actually coaching staff. Um, this is a path to professional division and, and league. And so th- it's designed to get people to the next level. And that not that doesn't just include, you know, players. It, it includes the coaching staff. And so the coaching staff that had a bunch of success last year in the USL, you know, fielding offers, you know, looking at other opportunities across the United States at the pro level. And so there's kind of like a reshuffling of the decks sometimes at this level. Um, I, you know, I would say I've, I have a good feeling about, uh, you know, our coaching staff being actually retained, uh, which is really rare. Um, and, and I think, you know, it's, it's all about finding out what players want to come back, you know, what new players, that can really positively impact a team are going to want to commit, maybe travel here or live here um, for a few months. And so there's the recruiting aspect. And then we do give all the local communities the opportunity to try out for the team. So it's not always this, Mm -hmm. oh, we're going to go recruit all these D1 or pro players. We actually give all the players in the community opportunity through an open tryout. We usually hold one to two of them, um, usually one around the holidays and then one in uh, February, March. Um, and then essentially, you know, register, show up, run through drills, um, small sided games, and then a big scrimmage. And we have a lot of technical staff there evaluating players. And there's always a good chunk, um, I would say five to five to seven players that come out of those large open tryouts that actually make the player pool. Um, so last year we had about um, maybe a hundred and 120, 130 people uh, try out at our open tryout um, combined for our men's and women's teams last year. Um, so okay. there's, a, there's a good chunk. And then uh, we, we dial everything in, in terms of uh, housing because uh, last year we had about 10, um, 10 women and um, host families here in Olympia and Tacoma. And then uh, we had about four um, for the men's side. So there's always this, we got to go find the host families. And that is a whole other beast and, and kind of stressful, but it's, it's fun. And it ends up being usually 99% of a really good experience for both the host family and the player. And then, and then we're really looking at, um, Schedules released. That's always a big deal with USL, um, January, February, and then we we kick off in May. So first practices are beginning of May, and then we're it's right after the college spring seasons kind of end and school gets out across the country. And then before you know it, May twenty, May twenty five, you're you're all starting your first games and you're playing you know, two games probably a week until 4th of July. And then the national playoffs happen after that. So it's just, it's a lot of planning and prep. And all of a sudden, boom, you're like, you don't have a life for two months. I I understand that one. (laughs) Okay. I do. I understand that one. But that's just one of the teams that you guys have. But before I ask you to change gears, I'm going to totally throw you a curveball. Oh, boy. Does 12 and 0 sound good to you? 
12 and L is a great number. I think that's, that's the, I'm hoping for it. <laughs> well, they are, they're 12 and L, right? Yeah. It, 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 it's, <clears throat> so for, for the for the listener who's going, what on earth is he talking about? Ryan was a member of the University of Washington Huskies football team. And University of Washington football team this year, undefeated so far. Going into the Pac-12, the last Pac-12 championship game against the arch rival Oregon oh, Ducks. Boy. I'll be honest with you. I don't have a good feeling about that, but <laughs> I, I, I really, I really, 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 and I'm not a big Husky. I, you know, I didn't go to, I, I went to central so I can root for and against teams because you know, who cares about central? I'm not a huge Husky fan. I, I do. I do like the Huskies, but I, I think what they're doing is really special and I'd really like to see them get a chance to go to the national um, playoff. Oh, yeah. I really would. I'd like to see him have a shot. I don't think they'll go very far. Um, just because Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State. Yeah. It's a lot <laughs> of things stars really have to align. Yeah, but this this team this year has been fun to watch. Yeah, um, it's it's been incredible. I, I went to a couple games. Um I flew down to Tucson and watched them get by Arizona. <laughs> that was a close one. And, <laughs> And then I watched them play Utah at home, um, and I met up with some alumni um, there. That, as you know, as you mentioned, uh, uh, used to kick field goals uh, for the Huskies uh, yeah. back in the day, and it was it's been great to watch. And even watching the 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 kicker out there make the final kick in the Apple Cup, um, and there was kind of a funny funny moment when I was watching. Uh, I think his name's Grady Gross. Um, he lined up, I think it was a 43 yarder right down the middle. And, and I remember looking at the kick and staring at that, the placement and going, Oh my goodness, that's the exact same kicking spot. I kicked at in the same direction in the same game, Apple cup. And I made mine, it was in 2007, but it was just weird because I was looking, I was like, Oh, this is what it looks like on the other side. And uh, he, uh, <laughs> yeah, he made a great kick and, and uh, yeah, I, I really hope that they can beat the Ducks. It's I, I hope they can beat the Ducks. Anybody from listening from Oregon, I hope they can beat the Ducks. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. I, well, let me ask. I wanted to ask you this. I was kind of going to ask you, like, as a kicker, that moment, that's what you live for, right? Or is that what you're t scared to death of? Um, I feel... A little I, both? I, it, I, I guess probably depends on how... Uh, how much ice are in your veins? You know, I think I, I, I mean, I've been in situations like that and, and it's a mixture of, um, you know, you're very, very nervous, but you're, it's just a, a ton of adrenaline and the adrenaline just takes over to where like nothing really, I feel like nothing really happens in your brain. It's just like overload. It's so loud mm -hmm. on a game winning kick or a game tying kick. And, um, and I did this in, so I have a, you know, kind of a negative outcome that happened one year when I was kicking in the apple cup where I had made the kick in, you know, to go to overtime. And then, you know, that a feeling of elation of being the, the guy that got it, got it done. And then, you know, the first overtime and made another kick and was the hero in that moment. 
And then unfortunately, in double overtime, I finally miss. And it wasn't to lose the game, but it was essentially, you know, still tied. Um, and, mm -hmm. you know, we had an opportunity to do something on defense. But at the same time, it's, uh, it's complete overload. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it really changes your life if you make or miss it. Let, let me just put it that way. Either way, it changes your life in so much, in so much, so many ways mentally. And uh, it's very interesting. I, I think it's a whole psychological, should be a whole psych, uh, psych class in college, uh, to be honest with you. So, yeah. Well, for the for the kid that kicked this field goal against the Cougars, I read that he got a scholarship now. He's now a scholarship athlete. Yeah, he, so, and, you know, and the kick was yeah, worth it It's for him. like, you know, he's on every single, he's on ESPN, he's on SportsCenter, Fox Sports, He's on every single social media for getting this full ride. You know, not only did he make the kick, but getting this full ride. And it it can change your life. And it's so awesome right. to see. It's so awesome to see for him. But to transition this back to Oli Town and to, to the USL and all that, playing well in a USL league game can be a life-changing event too. It can, it can get you exposure. It can open doors and, and give the player a chance to um, – climb the ladder as well. Absolutely. We had, we had even just a, a micro kind of um, example of this is we had three players that signed pro contracts within 30 days after playing for Holy town. Um, yeah, so Mariah Lee went to the top a league division in Australia, which, you know, Australia, New Zealand were hosting the world cup. Uh, for women um, this last summer. And so soccer is really massive down there. Beautiful, big soccer stadiums, huge fan base. And Riley signed with them. Ryan, I just lost you. Oh, there you are. Sorry. Big, big contract down there in Australia with Adelaide United. Um, and then we had a couple of uh, gals sign in Spain, um, professional contracts. And so, and I'm, I'm hearing that there's a, a, a few other gals that were just wrapping up their senior seasons in the last couple of weeks that are going to be going, um, pro. And so it's just now it's crazy to think that Uli town now has like this <laughs> whole other part of the website that talks about players that went pro that played that Uli town. And it's just, it's really cool. That that is it's exciting, isn't it? It's it's fun. Yes, it just feel you feel like you're a part of the process, and and you do, and and as you probably know, with the baseball and the semi pro program with baseball, is you, you get to kind of feel like a family for a little bit, you know, especially like these like we had a ton of players fly in, and you know you're taking care of them with housing, you know, food, you know, trying to find them work in town, you know, like traveling together <laughs> hotel stays air airplane rides and it's just like everybody just needs each other and you come like this little family for a few months but it sticks with you forever there's still people still chatting you know and messages and texts and checking in and seeing how people are doing and i feel like there's real that's probably probably one of the better good feeling takeaways that i've had from signing with usl is it really does feel different than anything we've ever done I know my neighbor here in town uh, was a host parent for the Apple Sox 20 years ago and they still, and their, their player ended up playing in the big leagues um, and they still talk. See, to them. That's so cool. They still, 
Yeah. I mean, they have, they, you know, he stayed with them for two months and they, 20 years later, they still hear from him two or three times a year. And this is a guy that's gone on and pitched for the Mariners for a while, pitched for other teams in, in the major leagues and they still communicate with him. And I think that's, that's, it doesn't always happen. Sometimes it's just not a good fit. Uh, sometimes life just gets in the way and you don't communicate, but there are these stories that you hear of host parents having these lifelong bonds with somebody that was sharing their roof for a summer. Same. It sounds like the same thing happens in, in, in WSL or excuse me, WSL. Yeah. Mixing my leagues here. USL. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, uh, it's incredible. Um, I've even, there was even cases where it's like, uh, there's, you know, business owners in town, there's, there's, um, you know, politicians in town that are hosting. It's like the, the, there, there's also a network being generated too for them where it's just like, well, if my playing days are done, maybe, maybe I'm going to move to Olympia and work for these people that, you know, you know, are, you know, business leaders in town. And it's just interesting. So I'm going to shift gears to the, the other teams that you have. So you guys have multiple, this is what's interesting to me. This is the difference between like baseball and, and, and your league and you, what you're doing. You guys have more than two teams. You have more than a women's USL and a men's USL. You have, you have arena soccer, indoor soccer as well. What's it, walk me through that a little bit, because once again, that's me just not knowing the sports. What, from a level standpoint, where, where are these, these players at? Um, it's, it's completely different. Um, you know, a D one, uh, a, a D one soccer star on an outdoor field is probably going to look like a fool on the indoor arena platform because it's a completely different game. And it's funny through the years with this arena soccer thing, it's like hockey, you know, there's these boards, it's a glass, it's a short field, it's small goals. There's huge hits. There's faster pace action. There's 15 goals in a game between both teams. And it's, it's, I I would, it's like organized chaos. It feels just so nuts. And, and it's funny that some of the best players are actually in their thirties and a little overweight and are able to knock people around and get make shot opportunities happen and they rip them and it goes in the back of the goal and the place goes absolutely nuts and and i just feel like and i was telling uh, i was telling jason smith who's you know a business partner of mine where i said it's funny i i look forward to usl and i look forward to arena for like two different reasons USL, I look forward to watching just this, the game of soccer played at like the purest, best level. It is so incredible mm-hmm. to watch the flow and the quickness and just the crisp everything, pass, touch, shoot. Like everything is almost perfect when I'm watching that. But then like I, I love going to the arena because it's just crazy, like gladiator type entertainment. It's like who's going to – who's going to make, who's going to survive today? You know, it's like, it's got this like incredible feel, you know, they got the beer garden, you got the big crowd standing room only it gets loud because it, the, the, the noise is retained in this is area and, and in this pavilion. And it's just, it's just completely different experience, but 
it's crazy to have all of them, but it makes it unique that we can have, you know, year round cycle of people to watch something, watch soccer in these different forms in this community. And I think it definitely differentiates us from a lot of people in the region. Where do you, where do you get your, like you said, you, you described kind of a, a players in their thirties and slightly overweight, but where, where do you get your players for this 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 league yeah they... I, and I should probably correct myself there's always a few of them. and now we're gonna leave that in <laughs> by the way so you know no it, but no in all seriousness where where, where does one find the talent for to feel yeah teams? i think what it is is you know a lot of the people i just described are probably um mo- most of those people are former uh collegiate athletes that are you know maybe have moved into olympia and started a family or tacoma and started a family or working mm-hmm. professionals um and then I would say 80% of our roster is actually college players, but they're, they're usually local because um, we we're playing during college seasons. And so it's like, you know, UW university of Oregon, you know, Gonzaga, these teams can't, they, the players just can't like drive down the road and play for us. They've got school and they've got off season, you know, the, the workouts. And so what we find is the majority of our players who are fit, and this is why I'm going to step it back. Our fit, they're 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 on top of their game. You know, it's like Evergreen State College, uh, St. Martin's University, uh, Pacific Lutheran University, uh, University of Puget Sound. You know, places like smaller kind of colleges like that where they're they live in town. You know, it's either five minutes or a twenty minute drive. You're here and you get to play in a really kind of a fun atmosphere and, and keep fit and competitive. And, and so that's, I'd say 80% of them are local colleges and the rest of them are kind of like former collegiate athletes that are either, you know, still kind of fit or like, you know, just still trying to hold on to the competitive atmosphere. Cause it's hard to let go as an athlete. Even I played into my 32, I think I stopped playing at 33 and I was that overweight goalkeeper that, you know, was just getting in the way, you know, and stopping shots. And, (laughs) and it was like, and it worked, you know, and, but it's, but it's definitely way different than the USL side, incredibly different. And how many, how many players are on these? What's your rosters on this? So it's kind of like a hockey line. So you'll have like a, a three lines of five guys and then you you have your goalkeeper. So it's six people on the field. So you're looking at probably mm-hmm. dressing 15 to 18 um, on game okay. day. And then you would have a first line, second line, third line kind of thing. Uh, carry a couple goalkeepers. So a little different there, the five lines. So you're really only, the players are really only getting on the field for like maybe a minute. They'll run on the field, they'll, they'll sprint, they'll hit, they'll shoot, and they'll do it as fast as they can for a minute. And then you strategically switch lines one by one. And then the next set does one minute. And it's just like, bah, 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 back and forth. And it's it's like a well-oiled machine, especially if, if you have good coaches and experienced players it's like you're watching like it's like you're going to a cracking game and you're watching those line changes at a cracking game it's like how the heck you know are they this is just all in their minds while they play this is incredible yeah i so what's interesting is i've i've never watched in arena indoor soccer i think i need to go because it the way you're describing it not being a soccer aficionado i I don't, 
How do I want to say this? I'm just not an educated soccer fan. Okay. That's, it's nothing against the game. I just, I'm not educated in, in the sport, but you're making indoor soccer sound like something with a little bit more, the scoring, like that we, every, everyone knows, Hey, we scored the, yay, win, you know, go, go. That's, you don't have to know necessarily how the play got set up. You just know that the outcome was that the ball went to the back of the net or the, oh, yeah. went to the back of the net or, or the player crossed on plate or whatever went through the uprights. So it's easier to get excited when there's a lot of scoring. And, um, and I think I need to go check, check this out. That sounds like fun. It really does sound like fun. Um, but then you guys do a lot of stuff with kids. And I think that's something that, you know, I'm going to tip my cap to you because you're raising the next generation of soccer players. You're, you're instructing, giving kids training, you're getting them on the field opportunity. Yeah. I, I think that there's some, so having like, so when I played, I, you know, played for the Sounders Academy and Olympic development programs as a, as a kid, but I ended up going in to play football for the university of Washington Huskies. And I feel like what happens is, you know, some people make it out of their communities like that, you know, full ride scholarship, go play sports or become a pro athlete. And some, some embrace the idea of going back into their communities and trying to impart everything that you've learned and experienced to like this next generation. And, and I feel like Oli town, it got to a certain point where I realized Oli town has these incredibly high caliber players now and access to USL athletes that are division one or pro athletes, you know, international, you know, the Japan national team, the United States national team. And I feel like because this has never been in this community before, I feel like now it's a wonderful opportunity to now have these athletes in front of kids and parents. And whether they're a seven or eight or nine year old looking up at a hero or an actual 15 to 17 year old that needs some of those finer points and thought processes to change their game to the next level. It's like, this is blown. This is, it blows youth training wide open. It, it, it just can provide uh, a segment of training here that, that can maybe inspire the next generation to do bigger and better things from a sports perspective. And, and uh, so we run clinics and camps. We, we invite, youth teams out to games to walk out players play at halftime there's autograph sessions for little kids after games and and because i feel like the sports piece and i feel like there's a lot of people like i'm gonna say i'm a 90s kid right so it's like i was inspired by going and seeing ken griffey jr in person or going to see uh you know neil megson or casey keller play you know, and whether it was A-League Sounders or MLS Seattle Sounders, and to be able to be next to a pro athlete and have access to them or even like a collegiate UW Husky, you know, picture day, you know, kids, I feel like really get inspired in those moments. And it clicks mm -hmm. in those moments when they happen that go, I want to do this. And, and I want to emulate what I, what I'm inspired by. And then it can change 
it changes the course of their lives. And so that's that's what we're kind of focused on with these, you know, these kids clinics that we run for soccer. That's awesome. I think that's awesome. What's the future look like for Oli Town? Um, it's a good question. It's it's funny we've you know we've kind of maxed out this this arena piece. We, you know we're 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 talking about you know trying to find a new home because we're it's you know we want to have a more state of the art facility that's you know heated has parking has you know a larger size field more more seating. So that's on the radar. You know, there's a lot of like buzz and talk about, you know, the future of um, indoor sports here in Olympia. Um, That's one thing that we're really focusing on. Um, I think the the thing that we were just talking about, I think is actually probably one of the more important things is trying to bridge the gap between, you know, I hate using the word elite soccer, but um, we really want to develop some type of youth um, aspect to Oli Town that, you know, maybe we partner with local youth soccer clubs because there's so many like of these little youth soccer clubs that, you know, are are around. But sometimes we find that a lot of these youth soccer clubs are just coached by, you know, um, baseball experienced volunteer dads or, or, you know, fast pitch, fast pitch or basketball moms, you know, and they're all of a sudden coaching mm-hmm a soccer team and not really able to relate to the actual game and the technical aspects that need to be taught in order for kids to advance locally. And so I think there's this, this idea that what more can we do in the youth space? What more can we offer? Can we bring higher level coaching down here into Olympia to give kids more opportunity to advance? Um, So I think the youth thing is definitely something um, and then my crazy, weird idea that I've actually thought of is I thought it would be cool to have an Oli Town fan shop in downtown Olympia. And <laughs> it's, uh, a, a, you know, maybe a little hole in the wall, uh, a little retail spot, maybe sell some jerseys and serve some coffee and some, uh, you know, beer on tap or something like that. I always thought you could watch a soccer game and and buy a jersey and have a, a you know a cup of coffee or something like that or a be- yeah, yeah and a beverage and yeah awesome. just uh, just little crazy things like that i think about sometimes but you know i think i, I really want facility expansion though um you know I, I i go to a lot of city council and parks and rec and visitors convention bureau meetings to try and really push the envelope of getting more soccer fields here and I, it really bums me out that there's really there's really only one turf lit soccer field with no football lines and no track in this entire County that has a quarter of a million people living, you know, across these five or six towns in Thurston County. And it's, Mm -hmm. I I feel like I'm going to keep doing this only town thing until there's more fields and uh, it might be a decade before it gets done, but I'm going to keep trying. There you go. All right. As we, as we wrap this up, I got to ask you some questions I asked you before, but I'm looking for updated answers. All right. Where's a great place in Olympia for coffee these days? Oh man, that's actually a pretty good one. Um, there is a, there's a new kind of a hop in place. Um, um, it's right off of, I think it's fourth Avenue. Um, I'm going to actually look it up for you right now, but it's a new coffee spot that, um, it's called rhythms coffee. 
That's what it's called. Rhythms okay. Coffee. So the only re- and and by the way, I still love my Dancing Goats Coffee. I still love. No man, yeah, I'm solid. I, that's solid. my go-to when I'm sitting at sitting at home, get my Dancing Goats yep. drip coffee. But what's kind of cool about this Rhythms Coffee Shop? It's 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 a place that has live music at night, um, has like performances. Mm-hmm um and things like that and i think they i think they might do a beer on tap at night you know kind of one of those things but it's like it's all centered around music and it's downtown so you kind of get that whole downtown olympia music vibe and and then you get a delicious coffee or beer and it's it's kind of cool because you know i feel like uh, downtown olympia should be known for music but the music scene's kind of died down a little bit so i'm happy to see them bringing it back yeah, COVID, you know, COVID wiped out a lot of things. So where's a great place around Old E-Town for lunch? Uh, let's see. What's going on there yeah, for food? Uh, actually, the there's a spot that I've been going to that's new since the last time I talked to you. is uh, Nicole's Bar. Um, used to be the Old e Underground location, but it's kind of uh, off Legion next to Sylvester Park, kind of by the old Capitol um nicole's okay. bar off legion so it's uh 21 and over but they've got a heck of a lunch menu good club sandwich good burgers um my the our play-by-play guy swears that like the meatloaf sliders they have meatloaf sliders and i'm not a meatloaf guy but this guy's a meatloaf guy and he swears by <laughs> it and then obviously full bar they have great bands they have live music i want to say friday and saturday night uh, too, but their lunch menu solid. Nicole's Bar off Legion. Okay, I don't remember if I was asking this question when you were on before. So if it's a repeat, you're going to give me the same answer. But this is how I'm closing out every show. Right yeah, now. you ready? Cake or pie, and why? <laughs> I would probably say uh, um, probably pie because it feels maybe a little bit more healthy. But it, it does remind me of that Jim Gaffigan <laughs> joke. Uh, yeah, uh, there's a there's pie in the bre- or there's pie in the break room. Somebody's drunk in the kitchen, um, and I always thought it was interesting. He says, uh, "You know, Americans are so fat. They 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 created a thing called a pancake so they could have cake in the morning when they wake up." <laughs> I'll never forget that joke that Jim Gaffigan said. Oh, I love that's that. awesome! Cake in the morning. Where can Mm-hmm. I always thought that was funny. Cake in the morning. You got to have a pancake. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. Where can our listeners find out more about what you guys are doing? Where, where do you want them to go on? Uh, OldieTownFC.com. Um, also follow us on Instagram at OldieTownFC. Um, you know, the more uh, followers we can uh, get and engagement, the, the better. And we would love to have you out to games. There's a uh, ticket page at www.oletownfc.com. You can get gear online too, jerseys, replica jerseys, hoodies, beanies, all kinds of good stuff. And and everything rolls back into the soccer. So it's it's a good thing to go and get a ticket or, or some gear. Awesome. Well, Ryan, thanks again for making it back on the show. Appreciate it. Best of luck to you guys. I know we're gonna end on this one. So USL2, Men's League. National champion was the Ballard yep. FC. Who beat Ballard FC last year? Holy Town beat Ballard last year. Yep. <laughs> the only go, team in the United States to beat Ballard. Yep. 
There you go. That's got to be good for 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 the league and for Washington State, though. That that another team. I mean, I know you want it to be early down, but that the Ballard FC went in one. Yeah, I think year. it's all healthy for soccer, especially local soccer. Right, exactly. You know, about it could you know. Props to Ballard FC winning the the whole thing. It's a rare feat to be able to do that across 122 teams across the nation, but yeah. also just as cool to upset the number one team playing a man down for 50 minutes and scoring in the last minute of the game. And it just was, it was incredible. It was an incredible night to be an Oli Town artesian and from Olympia. That's awesome. You guys were a, a, a man down for We were a, a man down time? for 50 minutes, and we were on the road playing in downtown Seattle at Interbay Stadium at their place. So it, it was wow. uh, extra extra special, I think, for the soccer community down here because, you know, it's like the whole, you know, uh, at some point you're, you go to a place and people are, are wondering, well, what are they going to lose by today? You know, because, the other, you know, Ballard's a great team. They've got good, re- good recruits, good coaching, and, and it was just one of those days where, you know, after getting clobbered by them in the previous game, we, we came out, we won, and it was just, it was shocking, I think, to even USL. USL even made a big deal out of it on all of their corporate social media and news. And it was a neat day. It was a special day. Awesome. Well, again, Ryan, thanks a lot for taking the time to sit down Thank with you. me today. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can reach me on Twitter at ExploreWaState. I'd love to hear your comments. You can also visit our website at ExploreWashingtonState.com. If you know anyone who would like the show, it'd be amazing if you'd share the show with them. This is the biggest way that we grow this show. Good old word of mouth. I'm glad you were here with me today, and I hope to have you listening to the next episode. See you then.